Father, your word tells us to praise you, to praise you, O my soul. And that, Lord, we will praise you as long as we live. Sing praises to your name while we have our being. Lord, your word calls us to praise you. And you have cause to be praised as we talked about last week. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Lord, we praise you because you saved us. And if we're not saved, you provided the way for salvation. You provided the way for a man to be taken away from the misery that he experiences by not being in you. By providing salvation in and through the uh, person and work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for that alone, you're worthy of praise. Your word tells us, Lord, not to put our trust in, in princes, those in authority, or in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. And Lord, this is so true for us because man cannot save us. Man cannot redeem us. Man cannot take away our sin debt. Man cannot take away your wrath that falls on everyone who is not in you. Lord, we are not to put our ultimate trust in man or in the things of man. But Lord, your Bible tells us, your word tells us, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heavens and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Lord, there's nothing that we created. You created everything. You made the heavens and the earth. You made the sea. You made all the animals that swim in the oceans, in the seas, that walk upon land and that fly in the air. Lord, you made all of them. You are the sovereign God. You are the sovereign creator. And you are the one to whom we are to put our trust. And Lord, we confess this morning that we have not always done that. We have not always put our trust in you, Lord. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for that. We acknowledge your greatness, your goodness, your kindness to us who trust in Christ Jesus. Lord, we seek your mercy because you have relieved yourself as a God who is long-suffering and kind. You are ready and willing to pardon sin, Lord. You are full of compassion and slow to anger, Lord. And we seek your mercy because of that. Lord, you comfort us in all of our afflictions. You promise to give us life and hope. Lord, we turn to you right now for mercy. Lord, you watch over the sojourners. You open the eyes of the blind. You lift up those who are bowed down. You love the righteous. So, Lord, we come to you this morning just thanking you and praising you for being such a great God who is worthy of all of our praise. Lord, you are a sun and shield to us. You give, you give grace and glory. And Lord, your word tells us that you will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Lord, we bless you for exceedingly great and precious promises. And Lord, we ask you this morning to save us from empty words of praise. Save us, Lord, from the futile things of this world, the things that lead to nothing. The things that basically waste our brain cells. Lord, save us from those things, from looking to those things as idols. And to turn to and serve the living God. Lord, I ask you to give us control over our tongues. Give us your Holy Spirit. 
control over our tongues. Help us, Lord, to watch our speech. Grant us discipline of speech that comes from the strength of character so that our lips may speak words that are sweet, words that are fruitful, words that are edifying, words that are uplifting, and words that are Christ-honoring. Lord, set a seal upon our lips. And Lord, help us in our thinking to think holy thoughts, to think edifying thoughts, to think godly thoughts. Because, Lord, not only do you see our actions and hear our words, but, Lord, you also see our thoughts. And, Lord, this morning I pray for anyone in here who is afflicted. Pray for Grace. She's experiencing migraines right now, Lord, that you be with her and heal her and touch her, Lord. Bring her relief. We thank you for her being here despite that. We pray for Brother Harvey's uh, grandchild. And we thank you for the uh, prognosis that the doctor able to figure out what was going on. And that he's able to be uh, fully healed. Uh, fortunately, he has youth on his side. And we pray, Lord, that you be with Harvey's uh, grandchild uh, this morning. Lord, we pray for any families in here who are afflicted by different things. We pray for... Um, Brother Jeremy, his back, that you continue to heal him and his back from an accident that, that he had with it, Lord, that you, you know, we don't realize how important our back, backs are until we have back pains. There's a lot that we can't do. It limits our, our movement. So Lord, I pray that you continue to heal him. He's, he's going to be going back to work soon. Let's continue to be with him, Lord. And any else of us in here, Father, who are facing different afflictions, whether sickness in the body, financial affliction, or or relational conflict. Lord, in all those things that we look to you, our maker, our creator, to reconcile those things for us, to make things right with us. And Father, I thank you for the graciousness of hearing our prayers this morning. We continue to pray, Lord, for our uh, sister churches and other like-minded churches in our area to continue to bless their congregations just as you're doing ours that you may bring people to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in their midst, that the preachers, the pastors, the elders at those churches proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of a world who needs to hear your truth. Lord, give us Holy Spirit boldness to continue to shepherd the flock of God well. And Lord, as I come to preach this great doctrine of adoption and how you have adopted us as sons, Lord, fill me with your spirit to preach this text well. It is such a good text. I enjoyed studying this week and typing everything out yesterday. Lord, may you use the Holy Spirit to illuminate truths to us this morning, to give us gospel clarity about this passage. And also, Lord, use the Holy Spirit to apply your truths to our heart so that we may live by what we hear this morning. And Lord, use your word to bring those who are unsaved to faith in Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Amen. Let us turn. There's no guess where we are. We're in the book of Ephesians. We're in our third sermon. Just making it through the first six verses. This is our third sermon. There's so much rich content in this book. 
in these passages. My prayer is that the Lord uses his word to grant faith and also to encourage the faithful. This morning we're going to talk about adoption. The biblical view of adoption. And it says here, we're reading verses 5 through 6, but I'm going to start again with context going back to the first verse again just kind of get the context of everything just as a, a helpful <clears throat> uh, reminder it says here Paul an apostle Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints so we know who the letter is to who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Even as he has chosen, chose us rather in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless with the, without him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So our focus here is verses five and six, where Paul says again, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of the pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And some translations say, accepted us in the beloved I think the new King James and the King James says accepted in the beloved and the beloved is a capital B because it refers to the person of Christ adoption is the big word in this passage and I'm going to talk about what adoption is in the Roman context and what it is in ours but first in scripture, our relationship with God is positioned in three different ways. The first one is that we are servants of God. And what we, what we mean by servants is we are subjects in his kingdom or subjects of his kingdom. God is the ruler. God is the sovereign. Every sovereign is a ruler. They rule over and the people they rule over are called their subjects. So we are servants of God. Christ is our Lord. And as our Lord, he gives us the direction we need. And we are his servants carrying out his will. And it is a privilege to be a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's no greater person to be a servant of than the Lord Jesus Christ. So first we are his servants. And next, another relationship that we have to God through Christ is that of friends. John 15 and 15, Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room discourse, he says, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. So those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are believers, we are friends not friends in the human sense that we think, <laughs> but this is a different type of friendship. This is a friendship where 
uh, Christ shares all the privileges that he has in God with us. So we are friends of God. We're not his enemies. It goes beyond being a servant. It is a true companionship that we have. The sharing of intimate knowledge, just like you do with your earthly friends, right? You share intimate knowledge with them. Christ does the same for us. And what is his intimate knowledge? The word of God that he shares with us. We have insight into the mind of God so that we don't act out of blind obedience. We know what the Lord requires of us. So we have the relationship with God as servants. We have the relationship of God as friends. Now, our passage this morning goes beyond that and speaks of adoption as sons. So it's basically going to a, another or a higher level. Right in uh, Hebrews 2 and 11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. That means that we're one with Christ. We are his sons. We're part of his family. He has adopted us into his family. Now, adoption is a simple concept. The, uh, the Roman practice in Paul's context back in ancient Rome, I read this to you. It says that the Roman practice of legally adopting a child would be similar to ours. It says, in addition to all of the family privileges and rights of inheritance, there was the new civil status of all the rights of a Roman citizen. In the Roman legal system, adoption was very expensive and difficult, just as it is now. But once it was done, it was very binding. That means it, it could not be uh, broken. A Roman father had the right to disinherit or even kill his biological children. That shows you how bad things were in Rome back then. But not his adopted children. Human parents can adopt children and come to love them in every bit as much as they love their natural children. They can give their adopted children complete equality in the family life, resources, and inheritance. So you see Roman adoption, the children who were adopted in essence, had more rights than their natural children. That's just, that was just the Roman system, okay? That's not the way our system is. But that shows you part the context that Paul is speaking from on how important adoption was. So when he was using the word adopted as sons, his hearers knew how special that was, that they were adopted by God, that they were um, entitled to all the rights, all the inheritance of being a son of the Lord or daughter of the Lord. Now, the only thing is that it is useless to look at uh, human analogy because the uh, adoption that Paul speaks about surpasses anything that takes place on earth. We can't compare human adoption to the adoption that uh, we have with God because the adoption that we have with God gives us a new nature. It gives us a new legal standing. It gives us a new family relationship. It gives us new desires it gives us a new image it gives us a new outlook on life now earthly parents do love their adopted children they love them so much but one thing an earthly parent can't do is give their adopted child their spirit they can't give their adopted child any hereditary factors because they're not their biological children they can't give them any of their proclivities or any of their 
uh, you know, ways about them that can only be inherited. But when God adopts us, he gives us his spirit. He gives us everything that he has for us. And when God gives us his spirit, guess what? We begin to glorify him because an adopted child doesn't always glorify their adoptive parents. Because they can't take on the spirit of their parents. No one can give their spirit to somebody else, basically. But when God adopts us, guess what? He gives us his spirit and we become his children. Now, one theologian said that no human parent can impart his own distinct nature to an adopted child. Yet that is what God miraculously does to every person whom he has elected. He makes them sons just like his divine son. Christians not only have all of the son's riches and blessings, but partake of the son's nature. Does this make adoption, human adoption bad? No. It just means that there's no comparison to God's adoption of us as his sons because of the spiritual implications of that reality. So the adoption that we have as God's sons is a spiritual reality. And that is where it matters most. So the big idea of our message is that as faithful saints, God has predestined us, and I'm going to define that word, to adoption as sons. And because we are adopted into God's family, we are to bear resemblance to God our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. God adopts us so that we can be like His Son. Just like a child takes on their parents and what their parents do and what their parents model in front of them, we do the same thing in Christ. So I'm going to look at uh, three principles this morning. The first one is God predestined us to adoption as sons. So let's look at verse 5 together here in the text. And I'm reading from the New King James this time. It says, Having predestined us to adoptions, adoption rather, as sons, by Jesus Christ to himself. What is predestination? Okay. You know the word, the prefix pre means before. And destination means a place that you're going to. So in essence, predestination means to previously ordain or appoint to a position or a status. Now the word predestined or for in uh, for I'm sorry, foreordained or predestined appears six times in the New Testament and it is exclusively used of God in relation to sonship and also in relations to the emphasis of God's sole initiative in saving us and the authority in our salvation. What predestination shows us is that it is God alone who saves us. It is God alone who who initiates our salvation. He predestined us before time. He predestined us. And what predestination does is it rules out man's agency in the work of salvation that God initiates. It takes all the credit off of us. All credit and glory belongs to who? God for saving us, for predestinating us for calling us out before the foundation of the world 
It is all God. We don't just become sons of God by virtue of being born into the human family. Just as a child cannot impose himself <laughs> on a family and be called a son. Someone knocks on your door, a, a complete stranger, and says, hey, mom, hey, dad. You've never seen them before in your life. They can't just impose themselves on you. Now, we've seen Lifetime movies like that. Um, my wife and I where, you know, someone pretends to be uh, someone's long lost daughter or, or, or son. And, 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 oh, they just so naively accepts the, the uh, adult child, mostly who it is. And then next thing you know, they're wreaking havoc in the house and killing people, becoming serial killers. That's how all those Lifetime movies play out. We watch enough of them. That's our guilty pleasure. But anyway... They just come in and say they're their lost son, a lost daughter, long lost daughter that they gave up for adoption or something like that. You know, something, some timeline like that. But a child just can't uphold, impose themselves on you and say, you are my parents and I am your child. Just as we can't impose ourselves into God's family. It is God who predestined us. And predestination demonstrates God's gracious character. God wishes that all would be saved, which is an act of his grace. God doesn't want anyone to not be saved, but that doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. It is not the will of God that anyone should perish. God, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 and 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is his desire, but that doesn't mean that everyone will be because many people reject the call of God to salvation. Now, what's the difference between predestination and election? Because the last verse, verse 4, Paul says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's the doctrine of election. We talked about that last week. What is the difference? Well, here's the difference right here. I'm glad you asked. R.C. Sproul broke it down for us. He says, God not only chooses us in eternity past, but predestined us to be exactly what he wants us to be, which are his sons. It says, he says the word predestinated is different than the word elect. The word predestinated comes from the same root Greek word as horizon. Think about that. The Greek word uh, horizo means to mark out before time for a specific purpose. And our English word for this is uh, horizon. So predestinate predestination means to mark out for a purpose. Election refers to refers to God's act of choosing. And choosing for what? The that's when predestination comes in. God predestines us for a purpose. And what is the purpose that God predestinates us? To become what? Sons through adoption. Because we're predestinated, we're marked out for a purpose. God defines the purpose of our existence. Again, you have people walking around wondering, what is my purpose in life? What is God's will for my life? God created man to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of man. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
And through glorifying God and enjoying forever, we become sons of God through adoption. That's the ultimate purpose of every person who was ever born. To become a son of God. To become one of his own. To be adopted into his family. And I said earlier that we are not sons of God just by virtue of being born. This is something that Christians unfortunately get wrong. And also non-Christians get wrong. Everyone is not a child of God. Now, everyone is an image bearer of God. God made all of us in his image and his likeness, male and female. He created them. Everyone is a created being of God. But everyone is not a child of God. Everyone is not a son of God. Who are the true children of God? Jesus said, those who do the will of the Father who sent me. Who also are the children of God? Those who have received Christ by faith. John 1 tells us that. To them he gave the right to become children of God who have believed in his name. Those who believe in Christ and their belief is unto salvation, not saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, is that a regenerate belief where you are saved and you're born again? That is what makes you a child of God. So being adopted, being predestinated to adoption is something that is special. It is the father's destiny for his chosen that we would enjoy adoption as sons. And this is part of God's unfolding plan. That warm, confident relationship with him. That is what God desires for us to have as his sons. Just as a child have with their parents. Now being adopted into his family as sons and daughters is a great privilege. It's a great privilege. We have Christ's privilege. And why do we have, what is the privilege that we have? We are able to call on God as father. You know, Jesus gave uh, his example prayer, the Lord's prayer. What are the first two words in the Lord's prayer? Our father. You can't call someone father unless you are their child. Many people utter those words, our father. But they don't belong to God. They're not his children by faith. The great privilege that we have as adopted sons and daughters of God is we can call on God as our father. We're not children of disobedience. We're not the sons of disobedience. We're not the children of wrath. But rather, we can call on God. God does hear our prayers. Why? Because we have that personal relationship as one of his adopted sons. And this is only made possible through Jesus Christ. So only through the work of God's son. Are we made adopted as sons of God. And when we have that friends we can call on God anytime. Now when Paul talks about sons he's not excluding women. Let me say that. I didn't want to say that but we just have to put that in there. God, Paul, what he does here is he speaks of God as being a father to his sons and daughters. So he's saying son, I just a general uh, term for 
uh, sons and daughters. So there's nothing patriarchal about it. It's not excluding women. And Paul is alluding to what he said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6 and 18, where he says, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And Paul in that passage was actually uh, referencing uh, Isaiah 43 and 6. So when you see the word sons, Paul has in mind all that Christians inherit in Christ. Because in Paul's day, sons would inherit from the father, while most daughters during this time in Paul's day didn't receive an independent inheritance. But by, by saying that we were adopted as sons and relating this to all of us in Christ, and guess what? All of us, male and female, receive the blessings of Christ. All of us. All believers. There's no one who does not receive that inheritance. Now you may say to yourself, I don't feel like I'm adopted. So, and if you are in Christ, you are a son of God. Do you always act like it? Do our children always act like our children? Or grandchildren always act like our grandchildren? <laughs> Sometimes you're like, whose child is that? Right? Mom and dad? And children probably say, Who, whose parents are these? These are not my parents. <laughs> but the point is, we may not always act like we're adopted, but it doesn't change our standing as adopted children. God doesn't disinherit his children at all. He doesn't disinherit us. Now, the future aspect of adoption is found in Romans 8, 22, and 23. This is why adoption is, is so sweet. And this is the ultimate future aspect of adoption. You want to look at that with me here. It has the word adoption in it. And this adoption deals with the glorification of the saints. <laughs> Paul says here, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Just start right there. All creation was corrupted by the fall. Not just man, but creation. That's why we have earthquakes. That's why we have natural disasters. Because all of creation was corrupted by the fall of man. When Adam sinned, all creation fell into corruption. Not just man. Fun fact, just in case you didn't know. I didn't learn this until I went to the, uh, the Ark Encounter up in Kentucky uh, back in 2018. The first rain that came on the earth was during the flood. Before that, it never rained on the earth. The earth was watered by the dew. But that 120 year rainfall that happened, well, the rainfall that happened after 120 years, when it rained and God judged the earth, as is uh, written, I think it's Genesis 9, uh, Noah's Ark. That was the first time it ever rained on earth. Before that, it didn't rain. That was because of the corrupt nature of sin and what it did. So when Paul talks about whole creation groans and labors. He's talking about all creation. 
continuing here, verse 23. Not only that, so not only is creation groaning, not only is creation waiting to be redeemed, the new heavens and the new earth. He says, not only that, but we, who are we? The saints, the elect, those who are predestined as uh, to adoption as sons. We also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the what? Adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In verse 24, I love this. In 25, for we were saved in this hope. What is the hope? That one day we're going to put off these bodies. One day we're going to put off these sicknesses and these sore knees and sore backs and, 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 and all the sin that has wreaked havoc in our, in our lives and the sin that we see in this world. Guess what? We have this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with what? Perseverance. We, we push through. We press on. We don't give up. We don't look back. Why? Because we know that one day we're going to see the Lord. And what, we're, what are we going to see then? We're going to know for sure that we're adopted. We're going to know for sure that we are adopted. So when Christ returns, those who don't see us as adopted will see us then. And we can rejoice in that truth. That we're going to take on that adoption. And we're going to see it in its fullness when our bodies are glorified. And I finally be able to have that six pack. <laughs> Not beer, I'm talking about my stomach. Anyway. <laughs> I typed this in my notes when I was studying. I just. It says all Christians, male and female, of every nation, tongue, and tribe are sons of God. And because of that, we will inherit all the blessings our father has for us. We're all heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's Romans 8 and 17. You may have a messed up earthly family. Some of us do. Your adoption story may not be a good one. But as a Christian and therefore a son of God, he predestines you to belong to the greatest family on this side and the other side of eternity. You may have a messed up earthly family. Your family may be like the Hatfields and the McCoys. You may have a lot of family dysfunction, which some of us do. But guess what? You're part of a spiritual family. You're part of a family that shares a common inheritance. That shares a common father. One God. One father. God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ. The family of saints is the greatest family. And we ought to rejoice in the fact that we are part of this family. That God predestined us to this family. I like what John said in 1 John 3 and 1. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. It is such a blessing to be a child of God to be adopted into God's family. That's why I said this morning I was excited just thinking about coming to church and being among God's people. 
it truly excites me to be among the saints of God. To be among people who will be in heaven rejoicing the Lord together, singing praises to our Savior. It's going to be great. It's like the old song we sing, uh, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing there will be when we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. That's what adoption is. That's how it looks. That is the eternal blessing that we have as being adopted. Like I said, we may not feel it on this earth, but it's not about our feelings. It is about what's true. What is true is that we adopted. We are in God's family. He predestined us to adoption as his sons, and he did it through the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is through Jesus Christ. And Paul Gardner said this. I'm going to read this. Bear with me. He says, our position among this people and in Christ happens through Jesus Christ. And this is accordance with God's will. He says, that is, it was God's plan that Jesus should also be the means to our becoming a holy and blameless people in God's sight. In order to be holy before him and adopted as sons, our sin and guilt must be dealt with. Jesus achieves this for us in his life and death and resurrection. It is not simply that Jesus represents us before the Father, but that he has in fact dealt with sin and gained forgiveness for all those whom he represents before the Father. This is not a fiction story or a fairy tale, but it is truth. Christ truly represents a people whom he presents to the Father as holy and blameless because he really has paid the penalty for their sin and gained their forgiveness. At the heart of this achievement by Christ on behalf of his people is Christ's redeeming death. This adoption is done through Christ. Why? Because of what Christ did for us in dying in our place, in paying our sin debt. Christ is our representative before God. He is our advocate. That's what an advocate is, a representative. Just like you have a defense attorney at a trial. The defense attorney is an advocate for the defendant. Christ is our advocate. He's our defense attorney. He stands before us, before God, and presents us to God as one of his adopted sons. That's why it is done through Christ. It is done through the work of Christ. It is done through the cross of Christ. It is done through the glorification of Christ as sitting on the right hand of the Father. Christ is up there right now interceding for those who are the sons of God. He is praying for us right now. That is the great privilege of being adopted through Christ. That's why we say turn your eyes upon Jesus. Why? Because he is the one who did it all and continues to do it. He is the one who serves us. He is the one who did the work of salvation for us. He is the one who paid our sin debt. You can't pay, you can't take away your sin debt by doing good works or trying to be a good person. As we read in the catechism, those works mean nothing because all of our works are tainted with sin. We look to Christ to be saved. We look to Christ to be redeemed. We look to Christ to take that weight of sin away that you're hiding under because you refuse to come to Christ and be saved. 
He is the only one. You refuse the very one who can take that weight away. You're refusing the very one who came to make you right with God. Christ is the only one who can reconcile us to God. It is only done through him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't love God and hate the Son. You can't love the Son and hate the Father. In order to get to the Father, you have to go through the Son. When you adopt it, you adopt it because what Christ gained for you. And those who are not in Christ, they are missing such a great blessing. You can walk around with your head held high, not with pride, but with your head held high, knowing that you are a son of God. You belong to the king. You are truly a child of the king. You can claim that privilege. And that motivates you to live a godly life because you know that you're representing God and his family. You're representing all the family of believers. You're representing your father. And this predestination and adoption was done all according to his will. So it says here, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose or the pleasure of his will. It means that it was God's doing that he predestinated us. It was God's purpose. It was his prerogative. The psalmist says in Psalm 115 and 3 that our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. And it pleased God to adopt us. No outside force constrained God. God did not seek the counsel of man to predestinate us. And this is why we can't determine who can and who cannot become a son of God. It is God who does it, not us. We don't do the choosing. God does. If you knew my life before I came to Christ, you'd say, oh, no, not him. <laughs> this points out the depth of God's love. God's love is not cold. It is not distant. It is not dispassionate. It is a joyous love. He did it according to the pleasure of his will, the divine purpose. The Greek dictionary says the term for pleasure connotes the delight and joy that attend an action. So God had delight in predestinating us as adoption, to adoption rather. A former sinner becoming one of his own. God delights in that. And guess what? We rejoice in it also. God's will is what's supreme and most important. And he did all this according to his good pleasure. Our second principle here is the purpose of our adoption is the praise to the praise of his glorious grace. Look at what it says in the next verse. He says, according to the purpose of I'm sorry, yeah, according to the purpose of his will, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Why did God save us? To bring glory to him. To showcase his glorious grace for all to see. 
The central theme of this whole prologue, these first 15 verses, is the praise of his glory. Everything that happens that we read in these first, these opening verses is all to the praise of God's glory. We're saints because of God's glory or for God's glory. We are the faithful because of God's glory. We are elected because of God's glory. We are predestined and adopted as sons to the glory of God. Everything is about who? God. It's not about us. The grace that is praised is the grace that is exemplified in electing us and also predestinating us into his family. The Greek of this verse literally says the grace with which he graced us. <laughs> it is all about God's grace, people. It's a divine characteristic and a divine action, and it is glorious. It is glorious. His glory is glorious. It is filled with his glory, and it is a grace beyond our understanding. We can't understand grace because grace is not something that we do to deserve. Newsflash, none of us deserve God's grace. We're not special. We don't deserve God's grace. That's what makes it what? Glorious. That's what makes it grace is that we do not deserve it. So the adoption of us as believers is a glorious act. Stephen Fowle said this. In his commentary, he said, praise is one of the ends toward which God predestinating is directed. He says, thus, God is both the free initiator of believers adoption and praise of God is the end toward which such adoption is directed. The adoption of believers is God's gracious act, which leads not simply to praise of God, but praise to God. I'm sorry, but, but the praise of God for a specific act of grace. You know, we've seen the doxology where the doxology is an old hymn. You know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is why we sing it. We're, we're giving praise to God from whom all. It's not just talking about material blessings. It's talking about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. The blessing of being what? Adopted. We praise God for that blessing. And we burst forth for praise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God for being, for him adopting me as one of his sons. And lastly, as a result of our adoption, we are accepted in Christ. And this is a good place to land this plane. So Paul says here in the last few verses here, I love this accepted in the beloved. I heard a sermon on uh, that some years ago. I remember like it was yesterday and it brought tears to my eyes because of what it means to be accepted in the beloved, accepted in Christ. Paul said to the praise of his glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. What does this mean? 
accepted and beloved is in Christ. You know, we talked about the theme, one of the mega, mega themes of Ephesians is who we are. Who we are. Our identity. Where do we gain our identity from? First from our creator, because God made us in his image. But as believers, our identity is also in Christ. Christ is the beloved of God. He is the beloved son of God and always will be. At his baptism, uh, Matthew 3 and 17, the heavens opened up and God the Father said, this is my what? Beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Christ is the beloved of the Father. And at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Christ revealed himself to Peter, James, and John in Matthew 17, the voice again, same voice, spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. That's what he said. He is his beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. And God said, hear him. In other words, listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. Follow him. Christ is the beloved of the Father. And this continues the expression that all the blessings of God come to us in Christ. And the word beloved also marks out Christ. As the supreme object of the Father's love. Christ is the supreme object of God's love. God so loved the world that he did what gave his only begotten son. Christ is the supreme love of the Father. The supreme object rather of his love. Paul says in Colossians 1 and 13 that Christ is the son of his love. Grant Osborne in his commentary said, God's grace is mediated to us through his beloved son. Referring to the extension of the love between father and son to the adopted children who are now added to his family. It is in Christ that all spiritual blessings noted in verse 3 become realities to us. It is because we are in Christ that God Rains his blessings on us. The world may reject you. But you are accepted in Christ. Those who hate God and hate the Bible. Hate the truth of scripture. They may reject you. But you are accepted in Christ. Your family and friends may, uh, in fact, forsake you because you choose to follow the Lord. But guess what? You're accepted in the beloved as one of his own. This goes back again to the theme of our identity in him. We must always remember that, people. That's more important than anything. We'll get to that in the application. 
Now, how does this acceptance come? It comes through the work of Christ. His substitutionary death, of course. His reconciling work between God and man. His clothing believers with the righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ. All this makes us accepted in the beloved. Because we are accepted in Christ, we are accepted by God. Because we have the righteousness of Christ on us, we are accepted by God. When God sees us, he sees his son. He sees the righteousness of Christ on us. When God sees saints, he doesn't see our sins. He sees the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us, credited to us, given to us, put on us. He doesn't see us as his enemies. He sees us as being reconciled to him through his son, Jesus Christ. That is how God sees you, believer. And that is all that matters. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what they see of you. Now, if you're out there being a world-class jerk, that's different. You're giving a bad Christian witness. But if you're living out God's truth, if you're declaring God's truth, you're going to be hated by the world. But Jesus said, the world hated me first. The world hates you because it hated him first. But you're in him. So it doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's about the fact that you are in Christ. You are accepted by him. That's what matters. And that's what we hold on to. Matthew Henry says this. He says, it is our great privilege to be accepted by God, which implies his love to us and has taken us under his care into his family. We cannot be thus accepted of God, but in and through Jesus Christ. He loves his people for the sake of his beloved son. God loves us because we are in Christ. He has this special love for his own. I put the conclusion up here on this slide. It's a lot. But I typed this out to a friend. I was typing away yesterday. I want to encourage y'all with this as we get ready to get to our applications. Summarizing the first six verses of this book that we've done the last three weeks. I want y'all to put this feather in your cap. Let it marinate like a good ribeye steak. In Christ, notice in Christ, this is not self-worship, self-help, self-love. In Christ, you are what? Worthy. In Christ, you are enough. In Christ, you are secure in your salvation, your standing with God. In Christ, you are righteous because you have his righteousness. In Christ, you are richly blessed because you're blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ, you are sons and daughters of God. In Christ, you are received and accepted. Forget the world and its lies, which lead to confusion and despair. You see all the confusion and despair going on in our world? It's so much confusion. It's either Christ or chaos. There's only two ways, people. Christ or what? Chaos. If you're not in Christ, there's going to be chaos. There's going to be chaos in your life. 
It's going to be chaos and everything around you if you're not in Christ. That doesn't mean that if you're in Christ that you're never going to have any problems and stuff like that. But that's different from chaos and, and just chaotic, just scatterbrained, just, just, just confusion. All these confused people out here in this world that you see, they're confused because they are not in Christ. They're searching, they're searching, they're searching, they're searching, and all their searches are turning up empty. Why? Because they're looking to the wrong things and looking in the wrong places. You're in Christ. You are received. You are accepted. Forget the world and his lies. You are a saint. So realize your righteousness. You are blessed with their spiritual blessings. So learn to rely on your resources. You have all the resources at your disposal to live in this world as believers. First of all, you have a heavenly father who's going to look after you. Who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that you may boldly say. That's, uh, Hebrews 13 and 5. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? What can man do unto you, believer? Nothing. Man may rise up against you, but they will not succeed. Why? Because you're in Christ. Because you're one of his own. Because you have the spiritual blessings of prayer. As a believer, guess what? You can pray to your God anytime. He doesn't hear the prayers of sinners, of unrepentant sinners, but he hears the prayers of his children. What good father will not hear the prayers of his children? God is a good father. He's not like earthly fathers who will say you're bugging me too much. No, God, you don't. You, you can never bug God too much. You are accepted in the beloved, so learn to rest in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You are sons and daughters of the most high God. You are accepted. Believer. Many people in this world are looking to do what belong. I was just listening to uh, Albert Mola on his briefing on Friday. He was talking about a report uh, from colleges about all these um, colleges have all these diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and all these different things for all these college students, you know, trying to make everybody feel included, which is not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that, but the report says that people, young people are still more lonely than ever. They have all these social media apps. They have all these programs in colleges and even in high schools trying to make Everybody feel what included and welcome, but yet they're still lonely. They're still depressed. Ultimately, the reason why is because, look, people, I want you all to hear me carefully. The things of this world will ultimately fail you. They will let you down. Don't believe the lie. What profits a man if he gains the whole world, the whole world's acclaim and praise 
and accolades and affirmation. You can gain all of that and lose your soul. Those things won't save you. They can't save you because if so, we wouldn't have needed the cross. The things of this world will not work. No matter how much acceptance you get from the world, it's usually sinful acceptance. Yeah, you're okay just as you are. You're okay rebelling against God and living a life of rebellion by whatever lifestyle you have. Live and let live. That's what the world says. You can live however you want to. Why? Because you're you. You can live your best life in sin, in rebellion against a holy and righteous God who's going to judge you, who you got to stand before on one day and give an account. You can say, well, Lord, I was out to live my best life. Don't believe the lie. The things of this world will fail you. The world cannot ultimately accept you like Christ can. In Christ, you don't have to perform for people. You don't have to try to impress him like you try to impress your friends and your family members and impress everybody on Facebook with how good and wonderful your life is. You don't have to go around putting on airs, as my old folks used to say. No. In Christ, you are accepted when you become a son of God, when you become a child of God. You don't try to please the world. Because the world eats its own. The Bible says the world loves its own. The world doesn't love people like me. And I don't care. Because this world doesn't determine who I'm going to spend eternity with. I care about my soul. <laughs> okay. I know that I'm accepted in Christ and that's what matters the most. The older I get, the, the stronger, the, 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 you know, I've been walking the Lord by his grace for 32 years. And the, the, the more I walk in the Lord, the longer I walk in the Lord, the less I care about what people think about my beliefs. I can care less because I'm trying to please the Lord. I'm trying to do is pleasing his eyes. And I know that everybody else can, doesn't have to accept me. My classmates turn their back on me. I don't care. It used to hurt, but it doesn't hurt anymore. What matters more is that I'm accepted in Christ. I'm not going to compromise trying to please people. I'm not going to do that. Why? Their opinions don't matter. I know that my God sees me as redeemed. My God sees me as justified as righteous because of Christ because I'm in him and why am I him because he chose me because he predestined me to become adopted as one of his sons that's what matters friend that is our bedrock who are you in Christ is what you should care about the most not who you are in the eyes of anybody in this world that's where we have to ground ourselves that's where we have to ground our convictions. Be convicted where you're convicted. Have some conviction about your life as a believer. And if you're not a believer, have some conviction and get saved. Come to Christ and repent. And guess what? He will not turn you away. You cry, Lord, save me. Guess what he'll do? He saves to the other most all he comes to him. All who comes to him. He won't turn anyone away who comes to him and says, Lord, please save me. Lord, I turn away from my life of sin. 
you follow on the mercy of God, guess what? He will save you. Don't turn away from that gospel call. Become a son of God. Be part of this great family of God. That's how we know that we're accepted. That's how we become accepted. And when we're accepted, no matter what anyone says, you rest in your relationship, as it says on that screen, you can rest in it because you know that you are kept by the power of God. Amen. Just a few questions as we end. Number one, what gratitude do we express? Do we often think about the fact that we're removed from the family of Satan and adopted into God's family? There are only, there are only two families out there of people. There's the family of Satan and the family of God. There's no, there's no in-between, no gray area. If you're a child of the devil, child of Satan, or you are a child of God, uh, what's the gray area? If, if you find it, give me book, chapter, and verse, please. I'll wait. How often do we thank God for him taking us out of that family? Being a child of wrath. That's something to thank God for. At least every now and then. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking me out of my miserable life of sin I was living. I've said my wife, uh, it had to be a couple weeks ago. Whew. Had I stayed in the Navy... I mean, it was providential that I, I, I got out when I did. Have I, had I stayed in the Navy with the mindset I had, I, I would have probably been eternally lost. I mean, God, perhaps whatever, I don't know, but I, I just can't imagine the trajectory that my life was going, man. Hmm. That's something I think about and just shudder. And, 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 and I turn, turn that to gratitude. Thank God for saving me when he did. Just in the nick of time, he saved me. And I'm grateful that he removed me from the family of Satan and adopted me into his family. We should all express the gratitude sometimes. Are we living as sons of God? Do we understand that our adoption, that God has put a new nature in us? Now that we are adopted sons of God, we're expected to do what? Live <laughs> like we are adopted sons of God. We're bearing the family resemblance. We take on a, a new nature, a new name. You know, I tell our boys all the time, don't shame your family's name. Don't bring shame to your family's name. I make sure I don't bring shame to my mom. And my mom will tell you, she can never say that about me. I never done anything to bring shame to my mother. My father's uh, been deceased for 10 years, but even when he was alive, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't bring shame. I don't want to bring shame to, to the names of my, my parents, the Haygood name. We don't want to bring shame to the father's name as his adopted sons we pray and ask God Lord help me to live like one of your own even when we fall even when we sin which we will do we repent and ask for forgiveness like a son of God would and lastly excuse me I touched on this earlier are we more concerned with being accepted by those who hate God then we are with our status of being accepted by Christ. That's something to think about. Which one concerns us more? Being accepted by people who hate God, those in the world, those who reject God, or by those 
or by rather being uh, accepted by Christ. Which one matters more? Which one should matter more? That's something to think about. Don't seek the world's approval. It's not worth it. It's empty. For some people, it's like a dopamine high. It's like drugs, right? Why do, why do people get addicted to drugs? Because of one thing. This, this is the only reason why. They're searching for that first high again. They're searching for that first high. They're searching for that feeling that they had when they got high for the first time. Same thing with cigarettes. I smoke cigarettes. That first buzz I got when I was in 10th grade, I was looking for it again, 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 again. What, hundreds of packs later, never, you know, three, four, five years, never got it again. People do that with drugs. They get addicted to drugs because they're searching for that high, that dopamine, that rush. And the less they feel that rush, the more drugs they do. People do that in the world, searching for the world's approval. The less approval they get, the more crazy stuff they do to go viral. The less pleasure they get out of the apps, the more they do what? Scroll the apps. The screen time goes from 9 hours to 12 hours to 13 hours a day because you're, you're trying to find that rush from looking on social media. You're trying to find that satisfaction. And guess what? It's not there, is it? But yet we still do what? You yeah, mindlessly scroll. I, I do it sometimes. I mindlessly scroll Facebook and I think to myself, why am I doing this? Like seriously, sometimes I just think that like, why am I, why? I find myself looking at reels too much now. I'm like, okay, I need to stop this. I'm like, I'm serious. I think consciously to myself, why am I doing this? I have to, I have to you know, I think that's the spirit of the Lord just saying, look, put that phone down. And pray. Read your Bible. You're finishing up the book of Ruth. The Spirit of the Lord saying, put that phone down. Stop scrolling so much. Do you know the Holy Spirit is telling you to do that? <laughs> and spend more time with him? Spend more time with God rather than prayer? I don't have no time to read my Bible. Okay. <laughs> but the point is, don't be so concerned with being accepted by the world. It's empty. Amen. We're adopted. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for predestin predestining us to adoption as sons through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we're accepted in the beloved. Help us as believers, Lord, to see our position as being adopted, as being your sons, as being accepted by Christ to not cater to the world, to not cave to the world. Lord, we are accepted. That is the greatest privilege that we have. And Lord, let us live in that reality. Let us live by that, by that truth to forget the world and its lies. It all leads to confusion and despair. May we live as saints and live as adopted children. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you who are listening to this message. That they come to you, Father, and be saved. Repent, turn from their sins, and fall on your mercy, Lord. And you will not turn away such who call on you in salvation. We will be saved if we confess.
thy heart. Crucify my mouth rather than believe in our heart that the Lord raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That we shall be saved. Lord, bring salvation and also encourage the faithful. In Christ's name I pray, amen.